Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for that prayer, Rico. That was great. It's good to be back with you again. Uh, we had a month in the glorious heat wave of Europe, and uh, let me tell you, the cold of Namibia is much more easy to cope with. <laughs> oh, it was too hot. <laughs> uh, right, uh, we're carrying on with our uh, sermons based on John Piper's book, What Jesus Commands uh, of Us. Uh, and this week, uh, the command, as you may have already seen, is, is be justified uh, by trusting in Jesus. And I've called it, uh, subtitled it, Get Right with God. Um, the, the, the trouble is, I suppose we're asking the question, what is justification and, and how can I get it? That's what I hear you cry this morning. And uh, I'm glad you asked that question because uh, I have some answers here. So there we go. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? Just fantastic. Uh, so uh, we, are, we are a needy people. The, the moment we are born, we have needs. Uh, and I suppose as we grow up and mature, uh, we, we have more needs, and our needs get more complicated, and, uh, and we, we never stop needing stuff. Uh, we need food, we need drink, coffee, uh, we need shelter, we need companionship, we need the Wi-Fi code. You know, there's all these needs that we have. Uh, uh, sociologists talk about a pyramid of needs. Uh, you need the basic needs looked after before you go to the next one up, you know. Um, and I guess Wi-Fi is right at the bottom there, you know, that's the, that's the basic one. Um, but Jesus tells us that our greatest need, I, I suppose the trouble with needs is um, it's this difference between the urgent and the important. Uh, if, if we're hungry, uh, that's, that's urgent. If we're thirsty, that's urgent. Uh, but those basic needs are not actually the most important needs. And Jesus tells us, uh, Matthew 16, 26, he says this. He says, what good will it be for a man or a woman uh, if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Um, so even, with, uh, even if we, uh, all our needs are satisfied, uh, we still haven't got the greatest need answered. Uh, uh, whether we know it or not, our the, the most important need, our greatest need, the most significant need that we have is, is spiritual. Uh, some more quotations. Uh, if you've ever done a, a catechism, uh, the, the basic uh, church training um, that some of the denominations do, uh, especially in Europe, um, the, the first question in the shorter catechism, this is my own denomination in Scotland, the, the first question is, what is the chief purpose of man? And the answer is to love God and enjoy him forever. And that's a spiritual purpose, you see, nothing, nothing about these physical deeds at all. Uh, our main purpose is to know God and to enjoy him forever. Augustine says this in his wonderful uh, Confessions. Uh, he says this of God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find themselves in thee. I love that. Um, and, and I suppose as our, you know, as we, as our needs are met and as, as we, as we look, as we live our lives, uh, gradually we, we become aware that this world is not enough to satisfy us. We, all our needs can be met and yet, and yet, and yet, 
There's something else that we need. And, and, and these words just remind us that our, our, our spiritual needs, the, the needs of our soul are the most important needs uh, that we have. But, but how, how do we satisfy our souls? How, how, how can we save our souls? As, as Jesus says, if we're, at, if we're at risk of gaining the world and losing our souls, how, how do we save it? How do we get right with God? And, and the answer is justification, justification. We have been here before, haven't we? <laughs> I preached on these two topics, justification, sanctification, a while ago. Uh, but in case you weren't here or you're asleep, uh, let's just recap those those things that we learned about justification. Um, firstly, it's what what is justification? It's a legal declaration uh, by God. Uh, it's as if we are in the dock and God is the judge. Uh, we are on trial before Him. Uh, and, and God, the judge, declares us to be not guilty. That's what justification is. It's, it's this declaration that we are not guilty. We've been singing about these wonderful songs, wonderful words this morning about, uh, about no longer being guilty uh, before God. How, how can God declare us sinners to be not guilty? Something has to have happened, and of course, that's the death of Jesus on the cross. And, and that's... The, the death of Jesus is the basis for that declaration. Uh, if Jesus did not die on the cross, there's no way that God could declare us to be not guilty because God is not only loving, but he's just and right. Uh, and he can't, he can't let guilty sinners off. <laughs> Sin must be paid for. The price has to be paid uh, because Jesus died. He paid the price. And, and, and then God can announce that we are not guilty. Jesus becomes guilty for us, and and we become uh, free uh, from sin, from all of that. And and just as a, a reminder, we we also looked at uh, which sins are forgiven, uh, and we we found out last time that not just our past sins, uh, not just the sins of today, but also our future sins are, are removed from us. Um, so uh, when, when, when God says not guilty, he means yesterday, today, and, and tomorrow, and forever. And, and uh, as, we, as we stand before God, we don't have to worry about our future sins. We, we don't want to commit them, of course, but we don't have to worry that they will take us away or, or come in between us and God in the future because those are also removed from us. The sins that we will commit, Jesus has also uh, taken away from us. Um, and that's, that's an amazing realization um, that, that it's our sins past, present, and future are all removed, as we sang, thrown into that lake. <laughs> uh, and Jesus puts up a sign says, no fishing, uh, which Satan, of course, wants us to go fishing and to drag them all out again. But no fishing. That's where they've gone past, present, and future. They are all dealt with. So how do we get this legal declaration? How does it happen? What what do we have to do uh, to, to receive this justification, to receive this declaration of, of not guilty? And, and the first thing is, and the main thing is, we have to give up trying ourselves to be righteous. We have to, we have to give up trusting in ourselves. Let's have a look at Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 9 to 14. I think it's coming up here. Here we go. Um, the, the, in, in Jesus' day, there was a group of Jewish spiritual leaders who 
who they, they were very righteous and, and they loved to show their righteousness uh, and they thought their righteousness would set them right with God. Uh, and Jesus told this uh, parable against them, uh, Matthew 18, verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Uh, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, or even prayed to himself. The Greek has is, is is both, both possibilities. Uh, God, I thank you that I am not like all other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Uh, I guess he said amen at the end of that. I don't know. Uh, but the tax collector stood up at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the Pharisee was relying on himself and his own uh, righteousness, and that meant that he missed out. It, it was the tax collector who'd given up. <laughs> he'd stopped trying, and he just confessed, I can't do it. I'm a sinner. And, and yet it was the tax collector who was justified. So the, the command in John Piper's chapter is, is not just be justified. It's be justified by trusting in Jesus. That's, that's the thing. We trust in Jesus for justification, not in ourselves. Um, our own righteousness is is just not enough. It never will be enough to, to get us into heaven or to make us right with God. Um, Isaiah 64, verse 6, Isaiah says this, our righteousness is like filthy rags. You know, you, you might think that, that, that we, we're going to do our best and try our best and be the best we can be, uh, and God will, uh, will get us into heaven because of our own righteousness and our own efforts. Uh, but God looks at our best and he says, that's dirty rags, filthy rags. Even our best is not good enough to find acceptance with God. So we need to reach the point where we give up and say to God, say to God I just can't do it. <laughs> Lord, if you don't save me, I cannot, I cannot be saved. And, and, and it's, it's at that point that the justification comes in. It's, it's at that point that God can save us. Uh, Luther said we are, we are justified by faith. And in a sense, faith is giving up and saying to God, we can't do it. I'll, I'll never be good enough uh, to get into heaven. I'll never be good enough uh, to get on the right side of God. I'll never be good enough for God. And whew, what, actually, thank goodness, what a, what a, what a relief <laughs> just, just to give up and say to God, I can't do it. I'm not, I'll never make it. Lord, you do it for me. You, you save me. You do what is needed to, to save me. I can't save myself. And, and that is justification. At, at, that point, at that point, we can be justified. We can, we can be put right with God because we give up relying on ourselves and we rely on God instead to make us right with himself. So that's justification. <clears throat> now, I'd like to go a little bit further. Uh, not just because I like standing up in front of people and talking about theology, because that's my day job, um, but to go a little bit further, because as, as I think as Rico prayed this morning, uh, we, 
we need to know the depths of the riches of what God has done for us. Um, you know, somebody says, oh, you know, uh, smile, God loves you. Well, that's great, smile, but doesn't get us very far. Um, you know, we, we need more than that. We need to know more. Uh, and and um, the thing about uh, salvation, uh, if you can imagine a coin, a coin that we call salvation, um, the justification, this legal declaration by God that we are not guilty is only one side of the coin. So here is the coin of salvation. I haven't got a coin of salvation. Um, one side of it is called justifi justification is stamped on one side of it. But on the other side, and a different word is stamped. That, that word, sorry to say, that word is imputation. Imputation, sorry about this, theological words. The, the, the coin called salvation has two sides, justification and imputation. So God not only declares that we are not guilty, that's justification side. We flip the coin over, we look at the imputation side. God also imputes righteousness into us. He, he counts us as righteous, um, even though we are not. <laughs> um, and and, and th it's, it's the same coin. It's one coin, and these are the two sides. And, and we, we need to get to grips with both sides of the coin. Uh, we need to know about justification. We need to know about imputation. It's, it's who we are in Christ, and it's, it's the full extent of what God has done for us, and we need to know. We need to know the full extent of what God has done for us. Otherwise, we just go through life half-knowing. Half <laughs> uh, we, need, we, need we need to get to grips with the depths of what God has done for us. So this, uh, this idea of imputation, this idea of being counted righteous by God is also crucial. Um, it's interesting, um, I'm reading through the English classic novels. Um, I've, I've just been reading Middlemarch by a lady called George Eliot. She sounds like an early LGBTQ+. But in her, in her day, uh, women couldn't write novels, so they had to give themselves men's names in order to sell the books. That's, that's, that's what's going on there. So her, her name was Mary Ann Evans, but she had to call herself George Eliot just to sell stuff, okay? Um, so if you pick up a copy, a copy of Middlemarch, it's by George Eliot, but she's a woman. He's a woman. She's a woman, yes, okay. <laughs> Those, we haven't, we, we've moved on in some ways, but not in others. Yeah, okay. Uh, she's an interesting character. She had a church upbringing, Christian upbringing, uh, but uh, she quickly sort of turned her back on the church. She didn't... She, she, she wasn't impressed with the way Christians lived and, and actually uh, became, you know, not just, not just agnostic, but a little bit anti-Christian. And, and, and even in Middlemarch, the, the really bad guys in Middlemarch are Christians, <laughs> actually. Um, but she comes out with some wonderful Christian truths. She's, because she's a writer, she can write beautifully about, uh, about the, the spiritual situation. And, and this whole idea of imputation, I, I, I found this wonderful sentence in Middlemarch uh, where, where it, it helps us think about what, what's coming, about what we're talking about. Uh, and George Eliot writes this, there are human natures in which if they love us, we are conscious of having a sort of baptism and consecration. They bind us over to correct behavior and purity by their pure belief about us. I'll say that again. This is a non-Christian writer, okay? It's incredible. There are human natures in which if they love us, 
we are conscious of having a sort of baptism and consecration. They bind us over to correct behavior and purity by their pure belief about us. It's as almost as if your, your best friend believes that you are better than you are. It's a bit like your mum. Your mum always believes you're better than you are, yes? Your dad, well, when you break the window, he knows that you're not better than you are. But your mum, you know, there, there, are, there, there are people who believe the best about us, okay? And, and, and we, we, know that, we know that they believe that about us, and we know they're lying. It's not really true, yeah? We, we, know, we know ourselves, really. Uh, and when we meet them, it's almost like this baptism. It's, it's like a shower. It's like a refreshing shower. They... They think they're better than we really are, <laughs> than we know we are, okay? Um, but what, how does that work? What effect does that have on us? It makes us live to their standard, yeah? It, it makes us raise our game because we don't want to disappoint them. If, if they think we're really good, we, we try and be really good around them so that we don't disappoint them. Get the idea? But this is just human beings we're talking about, okay? Uh, a human being, another human being who has a good opinion about us can cause us to, to, or can motivate us to behave better simply because of their, George Eliot writes, their pure belief in us. Okay, that's another human being. But here, with an imputation, we're talking about God. Okay, now God's belief in you must be pure because God is pure. God has a pure belief about you and your potential and who you are and what you're like. Okay. And if another human being can inspire you to live better, how much more can God's view of you inspire you to live better? Do you get the idea? How, how God regards us, you know, that that's becomes our motivation. That, that becomes our, 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 our sort of conviction to raise our game and be, be more than we are and be better than we are. Um, it, yeah. It, it sounds almost as if God is pretending, yeah? God is pretending. Um, but, you know, if, if I pretend, whatever I make up doesn't exist. It doesn't really, doesn't really exist, okay? But when, when God pretends and when God makes stuff up, it, it really happens, you know? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. God said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. God just said it, you know? Incredible. He's, he said it. He, in other words, he pretended or he made it up or he... He said, let, let, let's just say it and see what happens. He said it, and it happens. Okay. I mean, if I want to make light happen with my words, I have to say, Alexa first, you know, and, and then the light comes on. Uh, but, but God just said, let there be light, and, and there it was. And, and the imputation is, is God declaring or pre pretending in a way. God, God is, is, is putting Christ's righteousness in us. He's, he's counting us as 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 righteous as Christ is, um, and and God, God is pure. That's what God believes about you and me. Once we are justified, once He declares us not guilty, He then pretends that we we are as righteous as Christ is. He imputes Christ's righteousness into us. He 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 credits us with Christ. I'm running out of words. It's just an amazing concept. <laughs> And, and it's the same coin as salvation. This is not a second coin. This is not a, a more advanced level of salvation. This is what salvation is. Okay? It's one coin. Justification is one side. This, this imputation of Christ's righteousness is the other. Both of these things are part of salvation. 
Both of these things are what Christ has won for us by his death on the cross. God not only declares that we, that we are not guilty, but he then counts us as righteous as Christ is. That's amazing. It's really amazing. So uh, let's have a look at some Bible verses just to make sure I'm not making all this up. Uh, there are, there, there's, there's plenty, actually, but we haven't got time to go through them all. Um, one I picked out was Paul in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 7 to 9. Um, Paul has been saying about what a, what a wonderful spiritual heritage he has as a Jew. Um, but he, then he begins to say, but uh, what, whatever the advantages he had, um, it's now rubbish because in Christ, uh, that all that all those advantages become rubbish. His his righteousness, his Jewish righteousness, was like filthy rags. So he says in verse seven, whatever was to my profit, my my Jewish righteousness, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Okay, uh, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Uh, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, you see, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So you know, here, here is Paul talking about this credited righteousness that comes from God. Not from the law, not from doing our best to, to get right with God, but from giving up and, 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 and asking God to save us. <laughs> and that righteousness, verse 9, that righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Get the idea? And, 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 and this is what God does for us. Uh, he, he, he says that we're not guilty, and then he credits us with the righteousness of Christ. If I, if I could take an example... Um, Say that uh, I owe 10,000 rand to, to Rico. He thinks I owe him, but I don't really. Okay. So, uh, yeah, say I owe Rico uh, 10,000 rand uh, and I'm stuck. Okay. I've got no money in my bank account. I've got zero. So I have to say, Rico, I can't pay you anything. I've got, I've got nothing to pay you back. Okay. But then Sibylla can come along and she can pay Rico the 10,000 on my behalf. Okay. That's, that's justification. Okay. Uh, the, the debt is paid, and, and Rico is no longer angry at me because he's got his 10 grand, okay? And Sibylla, thank you, Sibylla. Sibylla was just happy to do it for me. Yeah, that's great, okay. That was her gift, okay? Uh, and that's, that's the first side of the coin. That's justification. The debt is cancelled out. The debt is paid, okay? That's the first side. Now, what does that leave me with? That leaves me, my, my debt's sorted out, but what my, what's my bank account? Zero. I still have zero in my account. I can't even go and buy bread. I'm still, you know, I'm better off, but I'm not much better off, okay? Because I can't do much with zero in my account, okay? Well, then Sibylla, guess what? She has, she's, 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 she has a sort of, you know, she's paid my debt, but now she realizes I can't even buy anything. So she gives me another 10,000, okay? So I've got 10,000 in my account, so now I can go and buy bread and a few other things, okay? Maybe even Wi-Fi, okay? So... That's the two sides of the coin. Justification is Sibylla paying my debt that I owed Rico. Okay. Imputation is, is Sibylla giving me 10,000 so that I can start to live. Okay. Um, it's not just removing the debt, it's giving me, it's putting me in credit with God. 
God does both things. He not only removes the debt, he puts us in credit with himself. That's what the imputation of Christ's righteousness is. And, and so the result of this coin of salvation is that when God looks at us, and we've already sung about this, I'm sure, of when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sins. He, he sees the righteousness of Christ when he looks at you and me. That's what he sees. Yeah? We're, we're little Christs, if you like, reflecting Jesus back to him. Why? Because he put that righteousness in there. Okay? He took away the sin, then he put in the righteousness of Christ, and that's what he sees when he looks at you and me. That's, that's who we are uh, as, as Christians uh, uh, in, in front of God. It's, it's just incredible. Have, have you ever thought about this before? <laughs> it's, just, it's incredible. It's just amazing. Uh, just to finish, uh, there's a, the, the most fantastic picture of all this is not in the New Testament. It's actually in the Old Testament. Uh, Zechariah chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 1 to five. Here we go. Um, it's uh, Joshua is the high priest at the time. Uh, the, the God's people have come back from exile. They're back in Jerusalem. And uh, the, the, the leaders of God's people are, are, are setting up the society again, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the city, rebuilding the nation. Uh, and Joshua is the high priest. He's the, he's the leader of the spiritual side of the nation. Uh, and, and God is, is going to prepare Joshua for, for his task ahead. Um, but uh, this is not just for Joshua. This is for you and me. Okay? This is what God did for Joshua. Uh, this is what God does for us in Christ. Uh, let's read together. Uh, Zechariah writes, then, he, then God showed me Joshua, excuse me, Joshua the high priest, uh, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Um, the, the, the word Satan, the name Satan, actually means accuser. Okay? So uh, God is the forgiver. Satan is the accuser. And, and here is Joshua being commissioned for his work, and Satan is right there, standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And in a sense, that's, that's who we are. <laughs> We're all burning sticks snatched from the fire uh, with, with God's grace. But Satan is right there accusing us of sinfulness. Now, uh, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Uh, then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. So there we go. Yes. Yeah, let's do the turban. Uh, then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. So this is what God does for Josh, did for Joshua. This is what he does for you and for me. He takes off the filthy clothes of sin that we are dressed in. And, and then, okay, that's nice, but, you know, it's a bit uncomfortable in public, you know, not having any clothes on. And, and so he then gives us new clothes to wear and a turban to put on our hats, heads as well. And, and, and you see, Satan disappears. The, Satan is, is no longer in the picture. He was standing there to accuse Joshua. And now because of God's salvation, uh, Satan is out of the picture. And, and, and uh, Joshua can... can, can proceed with his with his service so the filthy clothes that our sinfulness has taken away 
and then God prepares new clothes for us to wear, the, the righteousness of Christ. And, and, and so when God looks at us, he's not looking at the filthy clothes that are thrown away and put in the fire. He's looking at us dressed in these new clothes that he's prepared for us and that he's dressed us in. That is uh, the righteousness of Christ. And, and that's who we are as Christians. This morning, we, we need to know that that is who we are. We don't stand before God naked, having had our filthy clothes removed. We stand before God fully clothed in Christ's righteousness. That's, that's who we are, and we need to get to grips with that. And we, we need to know it and, and live it and appreciate it, okay? That, that's our identity in Christ. Um, sorry to give you some more words. Theologians say about the Christian life, the indicative gives the imperative. The indicative gives the imperative. What's the indicative? The indicative is the, the statement of how things are, okay? The, the indicative is, is who we are in Christ. And, and who we are then tells us or informs us or, or, or motivates us for, for how we should live. The imperative is the commands that we are to follow, okay? But the way we should live as Christians comes from who we are. Um, and so, you know, so how can we know how to live if we don't know who we are? That's what, that's what the theologians are saying. <laughs> so the other way of saying it is be who you are in Christ this morning. If you just want one lesson to take away from this morning, just think of this statement. Be who you are in Christ. Okay? You know who you are in Christ now? Now go and be it. Okay? And that's what next week is all about. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, thank you for this wonderful coin of salvation. Thank you that it has these two sides, uh, the side of justification, Lord, uh, through the death of Jesus on the cross. Our, our sins are removed and God uh, can declare us to be not guilty uh, before him. And at the same time, Lord, the, the coin has this second side. Uh, Lord, you, you don't just take away the filthy clothes of our sin, Lord. You, you clothe us in Christ's righteousness. And thank you, Lord, that as we, as we stand before you this morning, you, you no longer see our sins, but, but you see the righteousness of Christ. Lord, help us to, to grasp the depth of, of what you've done for us. Help us to grasp the significance and the truth of who we are in you, Lord. And, and may it just infuse deep down into our beings and into our identities. Uh, and Lord, uh, show us, please show us, give us the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may be who we are in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.